0: what's popping y'all welcome back to another episode of the heliocentric podcast hosted by yours truly pierre peewee the plug andreessen and as always i want to remind everybody at home make sure you hit that like button for me and if you're new and you enjoy this type of content make sure you subscribe also for all of my audio listeners wherever you get your podcast go to that platform and give the heliocentric a five star like that is much appreciated before we start i want to send love to everybody hope y'all had a happy holidays and a happy new year we, we locked in for 2024. It's going to be one of the biggest years ever for us. I appreciate y'all constant support. I'm sorry for the couple of week hiatus. Um, holidays fell on a Monday, which is the day it's released. Uh, I was dealing with some food poisoning as well. So I'm back. We locked in. And again, I appreciate y'all and ha- hope everybody is having a wonderful start to the year. Now, a lot is going on since the last time y'all have seen me. My Knicks made a very big trade. We'll talk about the OG Ananobi era. Um, In the New York Knicks, we'll talk about the Raptors and the IQ and RJ Baird era. We're going to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers and some of their struggles, the Bucks. I want to send some love to the Magic at some point throughout this podcast. So there's a lot to unpack. The first thing I do want to start with is the Golden State Warriors, right? A lot has been happening with the Warriors. Um, a lot of things on the court, a lot of things off the court. And this is probably one of the first times in a long time or since their dynasty or whatever from what we know the Warriors to be where they've just constantly had a lot going on at one time. It's already peculiar enough and unusual to see them not performing at a high level with Steph Curry being healthy. You know, this is a year where they do have both Steph and they have Clay. Um, obviously Draymond has missed time with the suspensions and things like that. But usually when they've had their down seasons in the midst of the dynasty, Steph Curry was out, Clay was out, and it was something that we could expect. Now you have Steph Curry still playing high level elite basketball, even at the age that he's at. You know what I mean? It's not like this dude is entering his thirties. This is a, a guy in his mid thirties, still carrying a load for this team. And right now they're two and six in their last eight games. I believe they're two games below 500 um and nothing seems to really be clicking. They're 11th offensively, they're 22nd defensively and things just keep spiraling. The first things were obviously the Draymond situations, right? You had the Rudy thing, then you had the Nurkic thing, then you had him leave for what 14 games has been um and then that was a whole ordeal. Then you had Klay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins really struggling and it, and it was very tough to figure out a way to get those guys going. Um, as of late, Klay Thompson has definitely been, been better and, and a little bit more, more of himself than, than the version we saw to start the season. But then you get Gary Payton, uh, who's now hurt again. And and it seems like he just can't stay healthy these days. And on top of that, you lose Chris Paul to four to six weeks with a hand surgery injury. And just when it seems like it can get no worse, this thing with Jonathan Kaminga, rightfully so, has now entered the the atmosphere as far as the Warriors bubble. And I know a lot of y'all have seen that where Jonathan Kaminga was very frustrated um, from a couple of games ago where you know, they blew. They blew the game against the Denver Nuggets where they had an 18 point lead. They scored 44 points in the fourth quarter. And for the first time this season, the Warriors are playing some of their best basketball, if you ask me. You know, forty-four point quarter is prime Warrior basketball. They had below ten turnovers. This is a team that averages what fifteen turnovers a game. So for them to be low, be below ten is a ama- is an amazing night. Clay Thompson was making shots. Steph Curry was making shots. It was one of those nights for them. And unfortunately, in that fourth quarter, they kind of collapsed. And Steve Kerr, for whatever reason, never felt comfortable enough to, you know, add Jonathan Kaminga back onto the floor. And so he didn't play the last sixteen or eighteen minutes of that game, I believe. And I can only imagine the frustrations that Jonathan Kaminga had watching the team kind of crumble. And then the final final minutes of the game, you know, watching the Nuggets really take that game. And the last turnover by Steph Curry, where he, he allowed the Nuggets to basically have that last shot and allow Jokic to to do something, you know, heroic, <clears throat> it really, it really lost him the game. And after that game, Jonathan Kaminga and his team basically came out and said that they don't have the belief or confidence in Steve Kerr to put him in a situation to reach his fullest potential. And at, shortly after that, Moses Moody threw it, him him and his team said we feel the same way. Like <laughs> since Jonathan Kaminga's speaking up, hey, we, we might as well speak up too. Hey, we we don't feel we don't feel like we're getting enough playing time either. And Steve Kerr's response was, you know, I played in, in the NBA for 15 years. And um, I never felt like I was getting a proper. I, I was never happy with my minutes for those fifteen years, uh, which is a high, you know, a nice joking type of thing to say. Um, and I know he was serious when he said it, but um, that's just another thing that that is in the world of the Warriors right now. And the next game after that, Jonathan, Jonathan Kaminga um, led the Warriors in minutes, but I just I just bring it up to say. At this point right now, I just don't know what it is for the Warriors to do. It feels like every day, every week is getting worse and worse for them. When I look at the Warriors on paper, when I look at how the Warriors are performing and I look at them playing basketball and I I sit back and I ask myself, like, what can they do to solve this? What can they do to fix it? Um, There's not a lot of options that are out there. When I look at the roster, I just don't know the value of anybody outside of Steph Curry. And obviously, you're not going to trade Steph Curry, rightfully so. I don't believe you ever want to be known as a franchise who traded him. And this is a guy who should finish his career with the Golden State Warriors um, unless he asks out, which I don't think he would ever do. So outside of Steph Curry, your leverage is really non-existent. There's nobody that's picking up the phone calling the Golden State Warriors right now for Andrew Wiggins you know i'm I, as as good as he's played over the last few seasons specifically when they won that championship in boston he was like the hottest thing smoking everybody was in love with that version of andrew wiggins and to be quite honest we haven't seen that version of wiggins on a consistent basis for the value of him to be back at that level and you know it, it's it's a sad thing to see because this is a guy who was the number 1 pick who struggled um, in in minnesota to really carve out an identity other than a high volume shot guy who really didn't materialize into anything and to see him you know rewrite his career and trajectory as a guy that is one of the most sought after complimentary players kind of like aaron gordon you know in denver and to see it kind of fall flat right after the championship it's kind of puzzling you know it's it's kind of Strange to see, especially when you see someone like Aaron Gordon, who kind of did the same thing, was a fourth overall pick. um, And in Orlando, didn't live up to the number one guy, fourth overall pick type thing. But as soon as you put him in a complementary role with other high value players, his trajectory and the way we talked about him and viewed him quickly changed. And it's been that way since he's done that. And it's only continued to go up post championship. So to see Wiggins not have that same type of consistency. It, it it's really unfortunate. Um, Even with Klay Thompson, like at this point, Klay Thompson in the last year of his deal, um, getting 40, 40 million something dollars. I don't know anybody who's calling for him. And I know that's going to be a tough thing for the Warriors, even when it's time to get to free agency of, of how do you let Klay go? He feels like a guy that should be a Warriors lifer. But based off the the product that we have in front of us, they need a lot of changes. And I'm basically saying all of that to say, I was extremely puzzled, and I was confused, extremely confused, when the rumor came out that the Warriors were unwilling to part ways with Jonathan Kaminga in a deal that would land on Pascal Siakam. Again, this is a team that I look at top to bottom, and I can't find a way for them to get better. And out of nowhere... There's a report that they have an opportunity to get a talent like Pascal Siakam. And they're turning it down because they don't want to give up a player who is only playing 22 minutes a game for them. Like, put that in perspective. AirPods, the rookie. He's playing more minutes this season as a rookie guard (laughs) than Jonathan Kaminga. We're talking about a team that has Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Chris Paul now has found a way to give their rookie guard, and he's been phenomenal in my opinion. But still, this I'm just showing you probably the type of things that is occurring in Jonathan Kaminga's mind. They found a way to carve him out a lane in a role for him to average more minutes as a rookie than Jonathan Kaminga, who in turn plays a position that the Warriors are really thin in, especially... With Draymond being gone, they're extremely thin at that position. So it's kind of mind boggling that they ha- they haven't found a way to get Jonathan Kaminga at least 25 minutes a game. This is a guy that should be at the least a 25 minute game guy at the least. Theoretically, he should be around 28 to 30. But the fact that he's playing 22 minutes is it's nonsense, in my opinion. And it's even more nonsense that you're playing him 22 minutes. He's in, what, his third year now. And you get a chance to get a guy like Pascal Siakam who can really shake things up. You know, like, I'm not saying Pascal comes and it solves and fixes everything. But I'm just saying the current state of the Warriors, in my opinion, needs a big shakeup like that. They need to just go out and say, hey, we just need some talent, man. We just need another guy who can get 20-plus points in this game. If you go out and you look at the Warriors' statistical um, numbers Steph Curry is 27 points The next leading scorer is Clay at 17 That's a major gap there A major gap It's not a lot of successful teams That have a 10 point gap From the first guy To the second guy It's a huge thing And you had the opportunity to go out and add a guy Like Pascal Siakam Who I think could be that nice middle piece For y'all Yeah, it'll take some time to get him intricate To get him, I'm sorry, to get him involved in the intricate offense, it would be. But I think it would be worth it because right now the product that you have, it isn't working. And I I know on paper it's kind of hard to to visualize it because you have Draymond. You have Looney, who he really plays, what, like 20 minutes himself. Then you think about Pascal. Is Pascal playing a three? Is Pascal, you know, how does he fit and everything like that? But I'm in a state right now. With the Warriors, where I think, man, you try to go and, and and acquire talent, and you worry about the fit later. You you worry about fit for a long time, and this is where fit is guiding you. Or oh, I, I I take it a step back. When you traded out Jordan Poole and you brought in Chris Paul, don't seem like y'all cared about fit too much then. So I'm I'm just looking. I'm I'm, I'm looking at the fact that they fouled so much. They foul so much, they can't guard for shit. They turn a ball over, which has always been a Warriors thing. The Warriors have never protected the basketball at a high level, but they've always been so good that they were able to kind of outplay that. Now, because you can't guard anything, because you constantly foul, you don't force any turnovers. So now when you're giving up turnovers, there's no way to really overpower that they're not that good anymore where they can just be better than the turnovers you know what i mean like they were so good at that those little things didn't matter or they could they could outplay those things and those factors now with clay thompson kind of taking a step back a big step back draymond in and out of the lineup Wiggins is not the Wiggins from two years ago. You don't have Jordan Poole, a a young six man who can come off the bench and change the tide of a game and give you a 30 point performance off the bench. You don't really have. So it's like you can't afford to have the mistakes that you you're making. And that's just a hurdle that I I never I can never understand them being so talented and being such an offensive force. Even in their heyday, and I like the epitome of the Golden State Warrior basketball, they always found a way to not value the basketball at a, at a high level. That that was always one of the most frustrating things about the Warriors um, with their high powered offense and, and everything that they were doing. It was always careless turnovers. Go back to some of those finals. Go back to some of those runs. Go back to look at some of those series that they had that were you know close. They still prevailed and they still won, but you'll see a lot of high turnover, a lot of high turnover games that I think gave other teams, you know, more more chance to keep up with them. Well, you don't know, go look at the 3-1 Cavs series. Go look at some of those Houston Rockets series, where it's a little bit closer than you probably would have expected. A lot of turnovers. Um, And I, I, Draymond today released a podcast episode. I watched it. I watched all of it. All 51 minutes. And um, I will say he said a lot of good things. He he really did. And um, I can't take that away from him. But the, the, the thing that Draymond has to understand is, unfortunately, because of the position he's put himself in with all of these antics and all of these situations, we're at a point where it doesn't it, the things he said doesn't really matter. And I I hate to be that person saying that because that, that is an unfair thing. But because of the history with Draymond Green, at this point, I, I really think it's all about action. I don't think his words carry any weight. You know, he's apologized before. You know, he's he's reflected before he's been suspended before. You know, he, he's grown before a, a, a lot of those same trends and a lot of those things we've heard before. And somehow, some way, even with all of those incidents and all of those, you know, suspensions and time off and time to reflect all of those things, he still found a way in 2023 to be in the same predicaments, the same situations. So regardless of of, of all of the great things he said and, and the messages that he had within it, especially the message about help, because I do think. Help does have a negative connotation on it, especially in the type of communities that me, Draymond, and a lot of other people come from, that we definitely have to change the, the 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 scope of how we view it. But honestly speaking, I think when it comes down to Draymond Green, it's going to be all about action. I don't think anybody really is going to buy any, buy any of his words because we've gone down this several times before. You know, he's. we went down this when he was kicking players, you know what I'm saying, and having those incidents. We we, we saw interviews and in, and in, in different things after the Kevin Durant situation. We, we, we saw things in, in the little documentary after the Jordan Poole punch. You know what I mean? So to 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 go through all that, and it's a lot of other things, I'm not naming, but to go through all of that, especially the Jordan Poole punch, and to still get here, I think is going to be all about action. And, again, I say that that's unfortunate because we all deserve to rehabilitate and and, and reinvent ourselves and have second chances and things like that, you know, like like we are. And um, it's just tough to see somebody put themselves in a situation where the the words carry no weight. You know, sometimes it carry little weight, right? Sometimes you go up there and you say, hey, I'm sorry, I apologize. And it still don't hit the same right. But there's there's something there. There's something that you can hold on to. I just think that Draymond has dug himself in such a big hole that outside of Golden State, a lot of us and a lot of people, they just want to see action. They want to see him go on the court and be able to straddle that line properly and not go over that line anymore. And that's going to be one of the biggest things to see going forward. So um, a lot going on for the Warriors. I continue to ask myself, and, and, and maybe y'all have some answers. How do you fix the Golden State Warriors? The one thing that I thought was, hey, go, go out and get some talent. Shake up this team. I never in a million years thought that they, this would be a team that would be able to have a conversation for Pascal Siakam. Because I thought Masayu Jury was going to look at that roster and say, man, they don't have anything that I'm interested in in the slightest. But to find out that they were able to talk, and he was looking at Kaminga, and the Warriors are like, "No, no, no. yeah, I, I, I don't know now. I, I really don't know what the Warriors think that they have or what the Warriors are doing. Um, this is one of the this is one of those times where just nothing is going right. I mean, like nothing. Steph Curry just had a nine point game where he couldn't make a single three point shot. Steve Kerr, you know, when I look at the Warriors and their community. People are at Steve Kerr. The other night they played against the Raptors and Clay Thompson got hot and he took Clay Thompson out while he was scorching. Warriors Twitter, and they're talking about that probably still right now. And another game that they lost. So maybe y'all have the answers. In, in the comments, y'all let me know. What, what are y'all looking at at the Warriors as far as things that are fixable realistically? Because obviously you can fix this roster by going and make some trades and making some moves. And, you know, so I don't want to I don't want to hear the bland answers. Man, trade Wiggins. How do you trade Wiggins? Who wants Wiggins? Man, trade Kaminga for what? Kaminga has some value, but does Kaminga have enough value to bring back something that's going to change potentially the trajectory of this season? If you're going to part ways with him. Because I think Pascal is the type of player that I'm willing to take a risk on. Last year of his deal, much more ready basketball player than Jonathan Kaminga right now. If it works, we find something. If it doesn't, we go into the offseason. Clay's money is gone. Pascal's money is gone. I believe Chris Paul's money is gone. Potentially, maybe have an option. I don't know. And you open up things, you're able to reflect and say, okay, how do we want to do this? Maybe we bring back him on less money. We bring back Pascal Siakam. You know, you have a clean slate to really work with, knowing you have Steph, knowing you have Dre. And you have guys like AirPods and Looney still, and you're able to just shuffle the deck a little bit and, and, and implement this here, that here, this. I like that. They need something shaken up. And hopefully, they'll prove me wrong. Maybe they know better than me. Maybe Draymond is that much of a difference maker for this Warriors team that when he comes back from the suspension, they go and they figure it out. Or maybe they need to go and just play some solid basketball. And after all-star break, they're going to be a second-half team that's going to put it together. And if they do, I'll say I was wrong. But as of right now, this team does not look good. And they look more so like the Golden State Warriors versus Warriors. So, We'll see. Um, The next team I want to talk about. Another team that's struggling. Another team that has championship aspirations. Another team that has one of the best players of our generations. The Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers are very interesting. Okay. The The Lakers are very, very interesting. Because a lot of the situations that the Lakers find themselves in. The Lakers create. Right. Like. The one thing I'll say about the Warriors, the only thing that the Warriors created, in my opinion, was like the Draymond Green situation. The fact that Draymond Green kind of does whatever he wants and hasn't learned anything from some of the prior lessons and he finds himself in the same situation. A lot of us, with our own opinions, think that the Warriors have done a bad job of holding him accountable. So that's why he's kind of stayed constantly doing certain things right now. I'm not somebody that's calling out Steph Curry's leadership ability or anything like that. But it just kind of seems like they coddle some of the situations. We've heard past players say that they just sweep things under the rug. It doesn't get addressed, sort of things like that. But outside of everything else, I mean, the Warriors, they, they can't handle the fact that Klay Thompson dealt with two traumatic injuries. They can't, you know, deal with the situation of Andrew Wiggins missing so, some some important time last year and kind of being up and down since the finals. They can't help that, um, you know, they had to trade Jordan Poole and, you know, they can't help that James Wiseman, you know, didn't end up being probably what they hoped that he could be. And you give them a little a little accountability to that. But the Lakers, on the other hand, they're dealing with certain things that I think is just embedded in the culture right now. It's embedded in the Laker current culture. The Lakers are 1-4 in their last five. Fortunately for them, they beat the Clippers last night because they would have been on a five-game losing streak. Couple couple days ago, we had LeBron saying, we suck. And even going as far as to say that, Bronny could play for that team right now, today. They're 3-8 and eight in their last 11. They're a 6-13 team on the road. Um, they're 24th in offense. They're 10th in defense, which, you know, you go back to their championship year in the bubble, and I believe they were third defensively and 11th offensively. So they were an elite defensive team as far as, like, top three. And then the offense was right outside of the top 10. I mean, now the, the offense is, is very hard to watch. They have a very tough offense to watch. Their 30th in three-point attempts. Their 25th in three-point percentage. Their 28th in offensive rebounds. This team can't make shots. And historically, I always tell people, when I go back and I look at LeBron and his best teams, he has an abundance of shooters. Like, I, I, that's always been the recipe for LeBron. You get LeBron and you put shooting around him. That's just always been, like, the duh thing. You go back to um, even the Cleveland days with the Booby Gibsons and the Mo Williams and the Danielle Marshalls and the Damon Jones and Antoine Jamisons. You know what I mean? Like, legitimately guys that can shoot. You go back uh, to Miami when he first got there. You know, Bosch started shooting threes and stepping out. You got Shane Battier, Rashard Lewis, Ray Allen, you know, Mario Chalmers and Norris Cole. Um, You know, like, legitimate people who could space the floor and shoot. Mike Miller We returned to Cleveland. They brought in J.R. Smith. Kevin Love became more of a stretch. Um, you know, Kyle Korver played on those teams. Like, shooting. And now the current Lakers don't even reflect the Lakers of what they used to be. It was a time where the Lakers had Kyle Kuzma, they had KCP, you know, they had legitimate people who was, they, they even brought back JR Smith, guys who could space the floor and really shoot, you know, the outside shot. Now you have a bunch of inconsistent guys. I mean, D'Angelo Russell, he knocks down shots. Austin Reeves knocks down shots here and there, but Torian Prince, he's, he's, he's a guy who's knocking them down, but he's not going to be a high volume guy. Karen Reddish is going to be a so-so guy. Jared Vanderbilt isn't a floor spacer. Um, Max Christie is supposed to shoot and be a shooter, but, you know, his minutes are going to be inconsistent. Jackson Hayes, Christian Wood, these these guys aren't floor spacers. I just don't, don't know. The main thing, though, with the culture is the inconsistency with continuity. So when LeBron says they suck, I agree. You know, when Unc say they suck, they suck. You know, I agree with Unc. I can't help but just look at the structure of the culture, though. It's going to be hard to have continuity where nobody feels safe in their job. Like, as, as soon as it's time to face adversity for the Lakers, somebody's on a trade block. Immediately. Oh, man, we lose a game. Austin Reeves might get traded for Zach Levine. D'Angelo Russell might get traded for Zach Levine. The Lakers might make a trade for DeJounte Murray. Teams are going to want Austin Reeves immediately. Darvin Ham. Darvin Ham is changing the lineup damn near every single game. You know why? Because Ham is he's he's a little he's it seems like he's just a little bit frantic and panicking. He has to he feels the pressure of needing to find something. I gotta find a mix. I gotta find, I gotta just start, start trying shit. I'd rather. Go out swinging in a sit with the same product, knowing it ain't working and just 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 keeping it out there. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if it is broke, you got to pick the pieces up. And I feel like that I understand it. But at the same time, what that is doing is it's not letting guys get a full rhythm. You got guys coming out as starters. Now, all of a sudden, you're coming off the bench. Now you're starting again for a three game stretch. You know, it's, it's it's all over the place. You don't know if you're playing with the starters or the second unit. You're preparing to play with Bron, but then when you go out there, Bron isn't out there. You're playing with Jared Vanderbilt instead. You know, like, it, it it's it's very hard to catch a rhythm for some of these guys when the lineup is such a constant change outside of Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So I, I get that from a player's perspective, but then I also understand it from a Darwin Ham thing. He has to do something to figure this thing out for the sake of his job. Frank Vogel won his team a championship It was gone in two years. <laughs> two years. I always felt like coaches were allowed a little bit more grace when you bring home that championship, in my, in, in my opinion. You know, especially when you look at those seasons after the bubble championship, it's hard to say that that was Frank Vogel's fault. You know, Anthony Davis playing 40 games here, 40 games there. LeBron playing only 50 games here. If you don't have LeBron James or Anthony Davis available, it's going to be hard to win basketball games for the Los Angeles Lakers. I don't care who the coach is. I look around and constant, constant reports of the Lakers being in cahoots with guys that I just don't know if they're going to change anything. Hey, I love DeJounte Murray. Loved him when he was with the Spurs at his best. Things been tough with the Hawks. I think it's, it's quite clear DeJounte Murray is going to get traded some way, somehow, from Atlanta. I don't know if DeJounte Murray is the fit for the Lakers. I, I don't know what he does, what he alleviates. I think DeJounte Murray is a name. I think DeJounte Murray is a clutch client. But on paper, DeJounte and his services, is this the type of player that they need and want? Mm, I don't know. Zach Levine. Zach Levine can score, but when you already have a team that's struggling with perimeter defense and guarding a three-point shot, I don't know what Zach Levine is doing in that situation. I think he would compliment Anthony Davis and LeBron James, but I'll tell you one thing about Zach Levine that's a little scary for the Lakers. If you trade Zach Levine, you're committing to him. Because of that contract and the money that's in that contract. So you have to know for sure that you're a thousand percent involved in investing in that. Because if you bring in Zach Levine, you're not going to be able to then the very next year be like, oh, we don't want him. Because that's the Laker way. And fortunately, they were able to do that with Russ, right? Russ had a little bit of time left on that contract. So it was like, oh, we'll, we'll just deal with it. We'll let it go. And then boom. Zach Levine contract won't be like that. That's going to be something you're going to have to be fully invested in all the way through. Pascal Siakam. I don't even know how. What do they What do they even give up to Masai Ujiri for Pascal Siakam? DeMar DeRozan. You know? And it's always funny with the Lakers because of the exact things that they need, they've had. I still think that they're recovering from that. I really do. I believe that the Lakers are still recovering from not bringing back Alex Caruso. This dude signed a, a, a what a four-year, $37 million deal. He's getting paid like $9 million a year, and they didn't bring him back for $9 million a year. The report was they tried to give him something less than two years, $15 million. And now he's the exact type of player that they need. Contavious caldwell Pope is the perfect 3 and D player out there with the Nuggets, playing for a championship, fresh off a championship. He's the ideal type of player that the Lakers need right now. They traded him for Russell Westbrook, and they're still recovering from that. That never made any sense. So when I look at the the, the Lakers, I just think of the culture. The culture is unstable. It's coach after coach. And even when you have the coach, he's worried about his job and the hot seat. You know, Magic Johnson left his team out uh, abruptly. Russell Westbrook was scapegoated. Cal Kuzma was scapegoated. Caruso was let go. Like, it's just a revolving door. And when you look at the top teams, they have some sort of stability. The Nuggets have had stability with their coach, stability with their core, stability with the role players. The Boston Celtics—they haven't won a championship, but they've been—they've been there. They have stability in their core. They just made the first real shakeup that we've seen in a, in a, in a while, and those shakeups were big ones that are that are positives. Drew Holiday, Chris Porzingis, and things like that. But for a while, they had that core: Horford, Tatum, Brown—you know, Marcus Smart. They ran the course with that until they felt there was no other option but to try to go out and improve it. Brad Stevens. You know, they, they had Coach Ime until obviously they had to go a different direction. I'm looking at the Miami Heat with Pat Riley, Coach Spo, Jimmy Butler, Bam, Hero. You know what I'm saying? Like stability and continuity within that core and not always having a revolving door every single chance you can get. And when you do make moves, it's more about fit and complementary instead of name, Hollywood, fame, followers accolades. And that's why I start to scratch my head when I hear some of the names. It's like zamarta it DeRozan with the Lakers? What is that about? Because, because of what? Because he's a name? So I don't know what the Lakers are going to do. I look at them kind of like the Warriors in a sense. where I feel like they should be playing better basketball, it's not impossible to see them playing better basketball, but I feel like they have a move to be made. They definitely have a move in their back pocket. Um, Hopefully it's the right move. Hopefully it's not a lateral move that'll have them stuck. Um, Obviously LeBron James is frustrated. And I hope for once that the Lakers find a way to deal with the adversity in the right way and not fold. You know what I mean? Because when they start to fold, that's when you have Darvin Ham being fired after two years of being the coach. You know what I mean? Then you have everybody on a trade block, and and, and you have three trades at the trade deadline, and now they're trying to implement four new players post-debt. You know what I mean? Like, that that version of the Lakers I don't like. I I, I hate to see it with them. And that is the exact reason they're here where they are today. Because if you tell me that this team has LeBron—in 2023, we're talking about LeBron, KCP, Caruso, Kuzma, Anthony Davis— and then you just do the free agent thing, you know, however many vets or bench pieces you need. Man, I like I like some of those guys still being with the Los Angeles Lakers. I do. And I think that I think the Lakers would too. My Knicks. Gotta talk about my Knicks, baby. Four game winning streak, currently the longest winning streak in the Eastern Conference. Um, undefeated currently in the OG Ananobi era, which is magnificent and beautiful. Um, I talked about it in a video that a lot of you guys may have seen, but I was very happy when this trade happened. I won't lie. I, I was. Um, it was a little bit of sweet because I came around finally of accepting as a Knicks fan who R.J. Bear was. And I felt comfortable and good with where I was at. Right. And I think a lot of times over the R.J.'s tenure with the Knicks, there was a bit of this expectation that we had for him being who he was. Coming out of high school, going to Duke, being a third overall pick, there was hopes of him being on on that level, not as as big or as good as Zion Williamson, maybe not as electrifying as Ja Morant, but definitely maybe being some type of all star wing, and that never transpired. And I know a lot of frustrations came with that, but I feel like me personally as a Nick fan, I just I, I had a, a better time enjoying and, and supporting RJ Barrett when I tapered those expectations and to finally come to that conclusion. Um, and he gets traded it was it was definitely a little bit bittersweet it definitely was and he was a guy that we leaned on in some of those low low times same thing with Emmanuel quickly you know to see him be um, a late first round draft pick that that turned into what he turned into as a favorite to win the sixth man of the, of the year Um, it was bittersweet but I was happy for Emmanuel quickly more than anything because you know as a fan a real fan, you want to see the player be able to be in the best situation that they can reach their fullest potential. And I don't know if Emmanuel quickly was in that situation with the Knicks playing behind Jalen Brunson. And then also RJ Berry gets to go and play and represent his home country, um, which I know is always exciting. And he grew up a Raptors fan and it's been something that he's embraced um, since he's landed on the scene. So um, with that, it was bittersweet, but just from a player addition, subtraction, um, when you think about Jalen Brunson and, and Julius Randle and how they play and where they operate, I felt like a, a two-way guy who could kind of get out of their way on the offensive end was was the most ideal type of player to add um, into the mix. And that's exactly what O.G. Ananobi is. The moment we acquired him, all I thought about was his shot profile. The fact that he's not a guy that's looking to have isolations, he's not tween, 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 doing too much with the basketball. Something that I think R.J. Baird had in his game because it's been who he has been since high school forever. R.J. Baird has been a guy that gets isolations, that has chances to do things with the basketball, that's looking to get downhill and have pick and roll actions and things like that. O.G. is a lot more simplified where he's going to space the floor. He's going to be an incredible cutter. We've already seen that in the first four games without him really having a true feel for the offense and picking up on things. Just being a guy who can space the floor and cut has already been um, a bonus for us to have. And I think that allows more breathing room for RJ. I mean, for Julius Randle and for Jalen Brunson when they're trying to get going. And I think it allows the offense to have more roles and guys aren't kind of getting into each other's space. So for me, I've liked it a lot. And then also when you talk about having a guy who can, you know, cause havoc on the defensive side of the basketball. We've seen that when we played against the Timberwolves. You know, OG making some things difficult as much as he could for Anthony Edwards. You're not going to lock down Anthony Edwards. You're not going to lock down Jason, uh, Jason Tatum. You're not going to lock down and Mitchell. But if you can make their job as hard as it can be and you can force them to miss two or three more shots than they normally would have, that just gives us a much better and larger chance of competing with those teams and potentially winning. And when it comes down to the, to the playoffs and half court basketball, that's going to be extremely key and evident. Um, and again, it's only the first four games. By the time we get all-star break and post all-star break, we'll, we'll start to see that chemistry start to mix and match uh, even better. Is there a move for the Knicks after this is the thing that pops into my mind. Do we make another move I don't know. We've been linked. I'll tell you this. For me, the next move has to be the the move. I am okay with being subtle. So we don't, we don't, I'm okay with OG OG being the splash. I'm totally fine with that. I don't think we need to make a move that makes the OG trade even smaller, where it's like, oh, that's not even their biggest trade that they had available. You know what I mean? I, I'm okay with going and getting Malcolm Brogdon if that's what's left for us. I don't think it has to be all-star guard DeJounte Murray. I, I don't think it has to be that. It To me, it doesn't have to be that big of a deal. Go out and get a Malcolm Brogdon. You know what I mean? Somebody who can compliment, again, our two best players, who fits what Thibodeau likes to do, somebody who's going to fit the offensive scheme, somebody who can stand of the man and play above-average defense, I think all of those boxes are checked by somebody like Malcolm Brogdon. You know, if we can't go out and get a star, let's go get a Derek white type player. Malcolm Brogdon is a six man of the year. He's a rookie of the year. He's played on place, uh, playoff teams. He's been in playoff series. It's not a lot. He can't do on the offensive side of the basketball or on a basketball floor in general. So I'm looking at guys like that more so than I'm looking at big splashes like Zach Levine, Dejounte Murray, Pascal, Siakam and things like that. So, as an as as for me for the Knicks, I would just much rather get a good basketball player or find some moves that could kind of bolster up that bench. Um, and let's save as many of those draft assets as possible for the offseason where we potentially could get a disgruntled guy. We could maybe potentially go out and look at the 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 Donovan Mitchell situation where we just give the Cavaliers a bunch of picks and some 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 cap filler. You know what I mean? And just say, Hey, here you go. Here's Quentin Grimes and some cat filler and a thousand something picks and y'all go crazy. I wouldn't mind that, but we got to let the Cavs get to that point because I'll tell you right now, the Cavs ain't looking to trade Donovan Mitchell at this second. They would have to have a disappointing, you know, disappointing place in the, um, in the playoffs. Or maybe something happens out there in Los Angeles, you know what I'm saying, where Kawhi Paul George, two guys that I do think and I believe they will end up going back to uh, to the Clippers. I think they're going to finish their careers there. But um, I think the next move has to be it, because whatever move we make that involves those assets, it, it makes it more harder and harder to get the star. Right. We already use Emmanuel quickly and R.J. Baird to get OG. So now our assets are kind of split. At first, we were asset galore as far as NBA teams. We had an emerging guy. We had a guy that you know people could look at and say, maybe with a change of scenery, something could happen. And then we had all of those picks. And RJ's contract is hefty. But now we use two of those things, and we're only really left with those picks. And maybe somebody still is attracted to Quinn Grimes a little bit. But because of that, if we now use some picks to go and get like a DeJounte Murray, that doesn't that doesn't put us in contention. And then the next move, w- what is the next move? We don't really have anything left to make another move. So the next move has to be the best move to put us in a situation where we can have somebody that's, that puts us over that hump into that top four out east really contention or contending, you know, for... Um, a playoff run. You know what I'm saying? So don't panic. Don't rush it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, we, we figure some things out about ourselves um without making a move. You know, maybe this team is better than we think. Maybe we don't need a splashy move. Maybe we just need to to round the edges. Maybe Jalen Brunson is going to take another step in the playoffs. Maybe Julius Randle, this is the year he puts it together in the playoffs and this duo catches people by surprise. Oh no, we got to see. Um on the other side of that that trade though, the Raptors are 3 and 1. So, Knicks 4 and 0, they're 3 and 1. Both teams are striving. I thought this trade made sense for both sides for sure. Um I definitely felt like the Raptors were a little bit more advantage uh, you know, had a bigger advantage in this trade just because what they got back, I really felt like they needed it. You know, those guys fit their timeline a lot more. I think Emmanuel quickly compliments Scottie Barnes as well as anybody you could probably imagine as far as um, a point guard who can space the floor, play with the ball, play without it. You know, what I mean? I think that's a really good underrated fit out there um, without being too expensive, obviously. And over these four games, IQ is giving you 16. I mean, 17, 6 and 5, 41 percent from three, only one turnover. You know what I mean? He had a really, really monster game a couple nights ago. Really loving what I'm seeing from him. R.J. Baird had an amazing game last night against the Warriors. He's averaging 21-6-3 on 53-52% from three. Like, they're doing their thing. And the fact that they still have Pascal Siakam to try to pivot another move as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline, the Raptors are setting themselves up to to have something special going on. Um, And if they miss the playoffs – um this year they'll have you know a, a pick that they can use to continue to add to their core but i think a core of scotty barnes emmanuel quickly rj bear and potentially some extra stuff from a pascal siakam trade this team could be extremely interesting going forward um out east in the eastern conference so at the time when we thought pascal i mean uh messiah was just sitting on his hands he was able to pull something you know out of nothing for a guy that probably was going to enter free agency. Um, on the last year of his deal and OG Ananobi. So I think we have to give credit to Masai on that. And um, I'm just interested to see where the Raptors take it going forward because these guys do compliment themselves and they have been playing a really good brand of basketball post trade. So I want to say shout out to those guys. It's uh it's 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 a pleasure and it, it helps fandom. It helps fandom to be able to see two guys that used to play for your, your team go somewhere else and still root for them. To see some guys from the Knicks fan, the the Knicks team still root for them. Um, I think it, I think it helps what fandom is about. You know what I mean? Not being so loyal to these organizations and franchises where you lose some people you enjoy watching, and all of a sudden they're enemies or they're afterthoughts or they're guys that you don't really associate with anymore. To me, that's just dumb. You know that type of loyalty that we have in sports is uncalled for. These franchises really don't do that much for us, if we're being honest, to where they deserve our loyalty to that extent. So um, it's good seeing a lot of Nick fans still support Emmanuel quickly and R.J. Baird. And hopefully, um, as a trade deadline happened and more player movement occur, um, more fans start to open up their brain to that type of thinking. You know, I just think it's it's too much loyalty to some of these franchises without them deserving it. You know what I'm saying? That's just, you know, my, in my opinion, um, the Mucks. The Milwaukee Bucks. I've been disappointed with the Bucks, y'all. I really have been. Um, The the Bucks, I'll use this analogy for the Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks remind me of the ultra-talented high school basketball player that doesn't put in the work, if that makes any sense. So like we've seen basketball, high school basketball players throughout the course of the years who, you know, mixtape type shit, ball is life mixtape era where they're just dominant, right? And the reason they're dominant is because they're bigger, they're faster, they're more, you know, naturally gifted athletes than the rest of the high school talent that they're going against. And so they just dominate them off of peer ability. You know, it's it's not that they're putting in work or, or putting in Time to perfect their craft. They're just bigger, stronger, faster than the rest of the competition, and it shows on the floor. And what usually happens is these guys get mixtapes, they go viral, we know their name, they're highly recruited, and then they go to college, and the playing field is a lot more even, right? It's a lot more even. And the dominance goes away. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, now what? Where's your skill set? Where's that skill set that Players have by only working on the game. You know what I mean. Like a skill set is something you go out and you earn. You work for. You you just don't wake up and you have a skill set. You can genetically and physically just wake up and be six eight. You know you can physically and genetically just wake up and be born with a crazy amount of speed or a high vertical things. Some of those things are just physically gifted, God given abilities. But when you talk about an actual skill set that you can rely on, you have to go and hone that. You have to practice. You have to put hours in. You have to, you know, dedicate yourself to that. And that's what the Bucks strike me as. The Bucks strike me as a team that's getting by based off of natural ability. Their natural ability is on most nights, they're going to have Damian Lillard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, and most teams won't be able to match that. On most nights. For example. They went against the Spurs team. Who do not have talent. To match that. A few nights ago. And. They started the game off. On a 22 to 9. Run. And then the Spurs. Second unit comes in. And Giannis goes to the bench. And the Spurs. Automatically go on a 9-0 run. Right. The Spurs have started. 2-9 from the field then automatically went 7 of 8 from the field. Three consecutive threes to end the first quarter. 31 points in the opening quarter for the Spurs. Like, Just things that I don't think a team with championship aspirations should be doing with the Spurs. And Milwaukee, defensively, is just not there. Transition, they're horrible. They don't have a voice. They don't have anybody that communicates well in the transition for them. I watched that game over and over and over and over. And I rewind and rewind. Because I'm like, man, like, how? How is a team so talented like Milwaukee? How are they going back and forth with a Spurs team that are basically babies? The Spurs team, they went on a crazy losing streak that we we kind of glossed over only because Detroit decided to lose 28 games. But let's not forget that the Spurs went 16, I think 17, maybe 18 games in a row that they lost at one point early in the season. And here we are, I'm watching the Bucs and Spurs, and the Bucs are really going back and forth with them. And I know it's the NBA, anything can happen on any given night, but I just feel like when you're the Bucs and you're a superior team, these is one of the games where you take care of business, and Giannis, Dame, Middleton, they're able to rest historically, that's how the Bucs have been. I know y'all remember the days where Giannis was only playing 31, 32 minutes with Budenhoser because they were so much better than other teams and they really dotted their I's and crossed their T's and handled business that those guys didn't even really get to play the minutes that a lot of us wanted to to see. We was fighting like, yo, play these people minutes. And now Giannis and Dame, they're playing 38 minutes against the Spurs fighting to the end for a win. And I think it's going to continue to be like that for the rest of the season if they can't get stops, which they can't. It's just a sad thing to see. It's disappointing. If I was a Bucs fan, I, would, I, I, man, I watched this game and I said to myself, if I was a Bucs fan, I would be extremely disappointed. You give a 59 first half points to the Spurs. 59. 59 first half points to the Spurs. You start off the second half, going a 6-0 run. Timeout is called Spurs going to 7 0 run. You know what I mean? Dame and Giannis played the entire third quarter against the Spurs. And they lost that quarter by five points. 34 to 29. They got outscored in the third quarter. A quarter where Giannis and Dame played every single second. They lost it to the San Antonio Spurs. It's terrible, and you had a you, you had to close that game out with Dame and Giannis scoring twenty five consecutive points. You had Giannis hitting back to back threes, which was always great to see Giannis hit a hit hit an MVP level in the middle of a game and just do his thing. But for me, I just don't know if those are the games that you necessarily want to see. And then I say, man, maybe I'm being too hard. You know, maybe it's the NBA. Anything can happen on any given night. No team is just you know so bad that. But then the same thing happened against the Rockets. My Rockets went out and beat the, beat the Spurs. And Giannis' postgame interview was the same. He's saying we got to have pride. We got to be able to guard guys, myself included. It starts with me. I'm the leader of this team. I'm not trying to throw anybody on the bus. That's why I keep saying including myself. But guys do die on screens. Fred Van Vliet was doing his thing against the Bucks because Malik Beasley don't know how to navigate screens. Damian Lillard, he, he gets killed on screen sometimes. And then every team you play, Brooke Lopez is playing a drop. I mean, that's on a Sky Report. Dominic Barlow was on the Spurs doing flip shots because he's playing drop. Lack of communication. So many wide open threes. Three here, three there, three here, three there. Transition threes, transition this, transition that. You got nobody saying, "Hey, wing back." I'm watching y'all. I'm watching because I'm curious, and I'm rewinding, and I'm rewinding, and I'm rewinding, and I'm trying to see. Okay, how did that happen? How did I'm watching this first game? I'm like, how is Jetty Osmond constantly getting open and hitting these threes? Rewind. Okay, uh, rewind again. Rewind. Okay, rewind again. How? It, it like you go and you watch the shit and it don't even make sense. I'll be very surprised if the Bucks win the championship. That's how I'm feeling as of right now, which is today, January 8th, 2024. I'd be very surprised if the Bucks win the championship. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying there's no way in hell. I'm just saying me based off what I'm seeing as of today and what I've seen from the other teams. i will be very surprised. I think Giannis knows that, which is why he's speaking out any chance he can get about the defense. Because he knows in order to win a championship, you can't just sit back and say, hey, we're just going to outscore you. That doesn't work. That's not good enough. You have to be able to get stops. And to be honest with you, they're not that potent offensively. They're just talented. So, yeah, you might get Dame hot one night. Obviously, Giannis can give you 40. Yeah, Middleton can always give you 20 to 25. Brooke Lopez can hit some threes. But what happens when the shit ain't going in? Because that is a part of it in the playoffs. Those games exist. What happens if you match up with somebody who is able to really defend you because they have the personnel? Then what? Then you have no chance? That's not a championship roster that's not a championship team that's not a championship philosophy championship teams have a little bit of both we can win games defensively we can win games offensively we have our stars to lean on you know we have important role players who are going to be who are going to do this do that and do this they don't really have that and that bench is 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 god awful that bench is terrible that bench is terrible campaign is not contesting shit on any of those three point shots that these the bucks are giving up campaign ain't stopping nobody from doing anything they want to do just keeping it a buck so the bucks oh no pun intended keeping it a buck um, so the bucks I'm worried about and I think their fans should be the same way um, before we get up out of here I did say I wanted to show some love I want to show some love to Orlando Magic man the Orlando Magic are are, are doing a thing and they playing some really good basketball but what I love about them outside of the wins and the losses and, and obviously them playing good is like the other night, Caleb Houston, the performance he had. I just love seeing shit like that, seeing teams like that where you just have like plug and play guys. Jalen Suggs has a night. Obviously, Paolo and Franz are going to have their nights. Shout out to Franz. Hope he hope he gets well soon. Um, But when Dale goes down and you got Goga Badati stepping up and doing this thing. You know what I mean? The fact that Marquette can go down and you can have Anthony Black do his thing, Jalen Suggs, like I said, do his thing. You know, Caleb Houston could come in and do his thing when Franz out. Like, it's just something that's 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 like uh, you you gravitate to that something like that pulls you into that type of bat. I love that. That's how the Raptors used to be when they can just you know you got Norman Powell or it's Fred or Gary Trent or it's Boucher or Siakam like. Just always somebody that can get you, and I think Jamal Mosley is doing a very good job over there cultivating, you know, that 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 team and what they have, and I, I I'm a fan of that. Um, they had a tough stretch that I think they did a good job with standing. Um, I know a lot of the, a lot of Magic fans didn't like that I had them at the preseason prediction. I think I had them like maybe twelfth or something like that. Um, and I remember, I remember when y'all was second, and a lot of I knew we was gonna be second. I think, fig- and somebody hit me up like, "Man, P, as a Magic fan, my fellow Magic fans, they quiet because we ain't two no more." And I'm like, "It ain't, it ain't nothing. Like it ain't nothing. And I get it. It's all love. Um, it's a part of the game. You know what I'm saying? You have predictions they right, you have predictions they wrong. It's a lot of basketball left too. Um, but I am rooting for the Magic. I do love what they're doing. Um, and I think, it, I think it should be, I think it should be talked about a little more." I think people talk about it, and they talk about Paolo and Franz and things like that. But I, th- I think you have to you have to mention Jamal Mosley and what he's uh what he's operating and turning that thing into. That's a special thing when you can have guys constantly stepping up, constantly offering something to the cause, constantly just always being there, always doing something. Con- like that's to me, that's just dope, and that's the making in the beginning of a culture that's going to turn into a lot of winning basketball. Yeah. The magic on they're probably going to make the playoffs this year. We're not going to care about the expectation. It's the start, but the start is going to build into then second round conference final. You know what I mean? Championship. You have to start cultivating and they're doing it early and they're doing it in a way where a lot of people are involved. And, um, that's incredible. So um, shout-out to the Orlando Magic. I just want to get them some love. Shout-out to my Houston Rockets, too, um, a team that I gravitated to in the preseason um, before the season started. I just love everything that they got going on over there. e is doing his thing and, and, and getting those boys out. Um, I appreciate y'all, man, tuning in. we here, what, for an hour. I appreciate all the love, all the support constantly. Um, I'm excited. We got numbers on the board coming soon. Um, that's going to be such a blast that first episode I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be getting things back and involved in that we've been going for such a long time it feels like i'm happy to finally be back and giving y'all um giving y'all what y'all been asking for so um it's the numbers on the board era shout out to through the wire of course that was good we closing that chapter um and yeah make sure y'all are buckled in and ready and locked in for this 2024 year that's about to be phenomenal as always i appreciate y'all Y'all know where to find me. Pee-wee the plug on every single thing. And yeah, we locked in. I'm out. Peace.